Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Rick Evans, Chief Experience Officer at New York Presbyterian. In part one, Evans talks about the Herculean effort health systems took on to ensure frontline workers were supported and patients were cared for during COVID-19, how physical barriers like PPE have made it more difficult for care providers and patients to connect, and what leaders can do to overcome those barriers, and how his team is dealing with the pandemic within the pandemic. I definitely wanted to talk about what your your biggest areas of focus are right now, but I feel like it's only appropriate to talk first about the pandemic and with this being a year anniversary, which is hard to believe. Just wanted to maybe get some reflections on on the past year and really starting with what was it that your team did that you were most proud of in terms of the response to this? So um, it is bringing back a lot of thoughts, feelings, memories. You know, we were talking the other day around this time, a year ago, we might've had five or six patients. And within a couple of weeks, we had 500. We peaked at, you know, over 2,800 in our beds, hundreds of them in the ICU. I mean, I think what I'm most proud of is how we came together as a team and really figured things out and rapidly adapted to the situation. You know, healthcare can sometimes be known as, a, as an industry that moves very slowly. And some of that's yeah. justified in terms of reputation. You know, in the spring of last year, we didn't know what we were dealing with. People forget that now, right? We weren't even sure about yeah. masks. And we never, thank God, ran out of beds or equipment or PPE. But it was a day-by-day effort, Herculean effort, yeah. to make sure that we didn't, to build ICUs out of... Mm-hmm conference rooms to make sure that our front line was supported. So I just feel enormously proud of how we mobilized and stayed ahead of the tidal wave that hit our city. I'm also proud of the way that our health system stepped up to support our front line. We really knew that our front line, I mean, think about this, right? In the beginning of the crisis, we didn't know, again, we didn't know what we were dealing with. We were all at risk. So, you know, you're asking people to literally put themselves in harm's way, not just once, like a 9-11 thing where you're dealing with something that's episodic. This was prolonged weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks through the spring surge. And now we're in another surge. We're, we're not out of it yet here in New York. And so we made sure that our staff didn't have to think about food or scrubs or going home when they didn't feel safe. We had hotel rooms, childcare, elder care spiritual support, emotional and psychological support. We, again, stood up an enormous array of things to help support the people who were right at the front line. And and I, I feel proud of that too. Those are things I think we were able to do. And, you know, this was at a time when the mortality rate, and this was much higher. It was, you know, a time when we were working hard and it didn't always feel very effective. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I know that there were lessons learned along the way, and I can imagine that really a challenge was to be able to to pivot so quickly. But, you know, kind of as we went into different phases of this, was that something that really had to be top of mind just as that experience was changing both for the patients and the um, care providers as well? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, the adrenaline wore off over the summer. Again, what health care people are really good at, and I have to say we were superb at, 
the people I work with, I think New York Presbyterian distinguished itself. We will be remembered in history as one of the biggest places to have the tsunami hit and we made it through and we took care of our patients. That I think will be remembered for generations. But now it's a year later. We are just coming through the surge that started over the holidays and continues in New York to some degree to this day. And it feels very different. So we're all exhausted, exhausted. Our patients are exhausted. And so in in some ways, this isn't as intense in terms of numbers, but it is equally intense in terms of the reserves we have inside of us to get through this. So I think right now it feels different because um, here we are again, and um, it's really, really hard. We're doing it. We come in every day, we're getting it done, but it's hard. I would say that the vaccine and the fact that that is now accelerating brings hope. The spring brings a little hope. And we're hoping we're in the, the last quarter of this ball game here. Right, right. I read a piece that you wrote for Becker's about best practices for helping care teams communicate and connect with patients and how it, it seems that those really had to be, you really had to rethink those and wanted to talk about that, things that really make such a difference, like um, being able to, to maximize the time that patients have with physicians and you know, using technology where appropriate. So one thing is that the pandemic itself puts a barrier between us. And well, let me back up. Patient experience in our minds here is all about connection and communication. So sometimes mm-hmm. people think patient experience is about the food or the parking or whatever. That's not that those things are unimportant, but at the core of it, having read hundreds of thousands of surveys now in, in my career, it's about feeling connected and understanding what's going on individually and throughout the team. So that's the heart of patient experience. And that's the heart of our best practices. What we're trying to do with our best practices is help people communicate efficiently and effectively. And when that happens, it benefits the patient, of course, and their loved ones, but it also benefits the the caregiver, the provider, the clinician. So one of the things, I mean, one of the most elemental things about COVID is it puts a physical, actual barrier between us, gowns, masks, shields. And, you know, a lot of connection that we've talked about over the years, we have this thing here called commit to sit, where you sit at the bedside for five minutes during every shift at eye level, just to connect with the patient for a minute. Even if you're doing your thing, you're doing, you're passing meds, you're doing whatever, but have that eye level face-to-face communication. It's very effective in, in, in creating connections between our patients and our staff. Well, how do you do that? First of all, you don't want to be face-to-face with a yeah. patient. And then you've got the barriers. So we've had to talk with people about how you connect across PPE. You know, that's simple things like body language, but it's also how we help the patient understand who we are and then acknowledging that there's a barrier between us. Even just naming it helps to create a connection because you're saying, I know it's harder for us to talk right now because I've covered in this stuff, but it's what I'm doing to keep both of us safe and I'm going to do my best to communicate with you. And then there are practices that minimize time while you're in the room. You know, we talk to our clinicians. A lot of times we're working under production pressure of one sort or another. You tend to rush from room to room, patient to patient, right? Because there's so much to be done. Yeah. But even to pause at the door and do what we call agenda setting, and just for a minute say, okay, I'm going to go in this room as I'm putting on my PPE. What do I need to accomplish here? 
I've got to pass meds and I've got to make sure the patient understands what these meds are for. So you sort of center yourself and then yeah. you can go in and get right to that work and make sure that in the two minutes you've got instead of the five minutes you used to have, you get that core work done. Those are kind of things we've been talking to people about. And what we do is when we make that adjustment, we do two things. We increase our chances of actually connecting with the patient. And we also acknowledge for the frontline caregiver that we know what they're going through, that we're not expecting them to do everything the same way they've always done it because it's, it's almost impossible. So it makes them feel heard and acknowledged that we, we know that it's not the same. Right. That's really uh, important. And of course, one of the things that that also comes into play is how different types of technology have been used to help patients stay in contact with family members and share information. And just wanted to, to kind of get your thoughts on that. It's that fine line between wanting to have some technology, but not wanting to take away the face-to-face interaction. Yeah. I mean, I would say an unfolding pandemic of its own has been the pandemic around visitation. Yeah. And it's been yeah. its own unique piece of this disaster. And mm-hmm. that's been hard, very hard on our patients and families, sometimes devastating. It's also hard on the staff who want people to be connected and who in some cases have had to become surrogate family because the family can't be at the bedside. So it's added to the burden on both sides and been really, really tough for everybody. And you know, we've had necessary visitation restrictions, particularly in the spring when we did not know what we were dealing with. And while we were still making sure we had all the right PPE and equipment in place, we had to be very draconian guided by our state department of health and fairness i mean we were implementing guidelines but i can't say we disagreed with them we were trying to figure out how do we keep everybody safe here and keep this thing from spreading further but we've learned that you know as we learn how to use ppe ourselves in different ways you don't want someone saying goodbye to a loved one over an ipad yeah and we all know that that's happened here and all over the country so we found ways to make safe I don't want to call them exceptions, but circumstances where we know visitation needs to be allowed. Uh, Someone's giving birth to their child. Someone is at the end of their life. Someone is physically or developmentally or in some way disabled and needs someone with them that we ought to be able to figure out now that we know more about this and we have how to get people properly protected and so that that loved one can be with them. So I think we've we've had to learn and iterate that as we've gone through the crisis. That's not even using technology. The other piece, though, is using people's devices, whether they're their own device, their phone, their iPad, or things like iPads that we've provided for our patients. So we've used a lot of iPads in the last uh, year. So we've, we've tried to get creative with that and facilitate connection wherever we can in whatever means that we can. But I think when this whole thing is over, please soon, it's really time for us to think about visitation again, caregiver presence at the bedside or in the exam room. And what have we learned from this and what would we change going forward? Right. That's a really interesting point. And, you know, you you think about the culture and, and how things are done and everybody wants to talk about going back to normal, but it's not going to be the same. And you really have to kind of rebuild things and establish a different culture. Yeah, I think we've learned some things about visitation that we're going to need to consolidate. 
I have to say though, like many other things with this pandemic, I think we, we can't rush to fully understand. I think it's gonna take us a long time to put ourselves back together, put our health system back together, our country back together. And quite frankly, I think some of the lessons we're gonna learn just with time to reflect. Right now, I'll be honest with you, not a lot of reflection time because we're right. still taking care of patients. We're still vaccinating people. So our noses are still to the grindstone right now taking care of patients and getting shots in people's arms. Not a lot of reflection time yet. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.